the Comic Book Time Machine presents The Week of Weird. Seven days of weird comics. Day one, a weird crossover. Hello and welcome to the first day of the week of weird. And what is the week of weird? Well, as I said in the the credits there, um, it's seven days in a row of podcasting about weird comics. And it basically comes down to I like the idea of doing um, November podcast posting challenge or whatever that is. It's like the podcaster's version of the uh, um, NaNoWriMo thing, the November Writers Novel Month thing. But I'm never going to be able to do 30 days in a row. But I thought seven days? I could do seven days. And I could use those seven days to create some podcasts about some comics that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And so each episode is going to be kind of about a weird comic, but it's also uh, going to be a comic that is kind of you know, Halloween-ish. Um, there'll be monsters involved for sure uh, in in the weirdness. Um, some of them will be Swamp Monster adjacent. And so I'm not sure if all of these are going to be posted to the Swamp Things feed or if it's all just going to be in the main feed. Because um, what I do with the Swamp Things feed, if anyone is just listening to the Swamp Things podcast through that single feed, um, those episodes get posted to the comic book time machine main feed as well at the same time, uh, similar to what I do with Marvel's cosmic comics. And so, um, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to push these out in both the main feed and the swamp things feed. I might, because you know, this episode here, we're, we're talking about, they're not swamp monsters, but they're swamp monsters uh, adjacent. In fact, one of them on the cover, the monster itself calls himself the slime thing. And, uh, definitely has that kind of slimy swamp monstery look to it. Uh, and so I'm not sure if I'm going to push them all out there, um, or just, just the swamp monster or the, the main, you know, th- like this episode here, this, this is going to go out in both feeds. I think, uh, definitely the ones that have to do with swamp or swamp like creatures will. Uh, so anyway, this is day one and, and for day one, we're talking about a weird crossover and it's the first intercompany crossover between Marvel and DC, but it's not an official crossover. And not only is that enough to make this kind of a weird thing to talk about, uh, it is enough. I mean, that's that's all I'm looking for is something that just makes it out of the ordinary and then has something to do with something that could be considered either scary or spooky or it's intended to be scary or spooky or it's intended to make you think about things that are scary or spooky. Because I know I have something coming up that, you know, it's not scary, but it's definitely referencing all those scary kind of things. And yeah, I mean, actually, it takes a lot for a comic book to be scary anyway. So um but this this crossover has a weirdness to it that just it just gets me. And I, I, I'm so glad I have these comics in my collection. And I'm so glad that I discovered somewhere online at some blog post somewhere um, I, I discovered this this crossover between Marvel and DC. And uh, it starts over at DC with Aquaman uh, issue number 56, which is in itself an, an odd story kind of told a little oddly, <laughs> but, uh, the cover is, 
It's got Aquaman flying through the air over the city of Detroit. And there is a giant monster just looming over the city. And, uh, you know, it's the city of Detroit because it says the creature that devoured Detroit on the cover there. This comic was 15 cents and it's got the classic Aquaman um, logo on it. It's got the corner picture of Aquaman swimming through the water, kind of at a low point of an arc as he's swimming down, but he's about to head back upward um, to prove by the comics code authority. And this monster is a cool looking monster. I mean, it, it's, it's slimy ish. It has this kind of scary fanged beak kind of thing going on. It's got a red eye. You can't really see the other one, but this, this red eye just draws you into it. It's, it's this, um, gray and charcoal color of on the creature. And then there's light shining on it, uh, giving it these, uh, these highlights that are kind of yellowish. But, uh, that, that eye then is in the middle of this darkness this red glowing eye and Aquaman looks pretty intense as he is speeding through the air, flying toward this creature. And I don't know why he is flying, but uh, the comic cover looks cool and uh, definitely feels to me like this would fit in my, I used to do uh, cool comic covers, uh, blog posts for um, well, for my, my, my blogger blog that I used to do. And also for strangers and aliens, the, uh, other, one of the other podcasts I do, and this is definitely a cool comic cover, but I just can't get over the way, you know, Aquaman's flying through the air. Now, Hey, I mean, I used to think Aquaman could fly because uh, at the beginning of super friends, um, he's flying through the air with Superman and, and wonder woman. But, um, here he's he's speeding through the air at this beast and he looks determined like he's got to take care of things he's got to take care of business here and he's going to stop this creature from devouring detroit but um <laughs> the way that the creature is devouring De detroit inside the issue is a little different than what they are kind of uh promising on the cover here so uh, cover date is March, April 71. The on sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, is uh, January 5th, 1971. Cover price, like I said, 15 cents, man, 15 cents. And that's that's one of the bad things about the comic book time machine is that you are um, you get to look back in time at these comics that just, uh, you know, this would be a four dollar comic today. Then again, 15 cents would be a week's allowance. And uh, so I mean, maybe, I don't know, the uh, exchange rate. Is that what they call it? Um, Professor Allen, is it, is it the exchange rate between, uh, you know, the inflation or whatever it is? I don't know, you know, $1971 versus $2018, you know, is 15 cents equal to $4? I'm not, I'm not going to look it up. But what I am going to say is I, I have a feeling that 15 cents in 1971 allowance dollars is probably pretty equal to five dollars in 2018 allowance dollars you know that, that weekly allowance you get for um not doing your chores but hopefully you're you're still going to get it anyway even though you didn't do the chores from the chart that you were supposed to do uh not that i ever did that um I, I didn't do it. I, I, I had the chore chart, but I didn't do the, the chores on the chart. I, I wasn't a great responsible kid uh, when I was in second and third grade. But anyway, um, this this comic cover looks great 
It's a great comic cover. Story is written by Steve Skeets and Jim Aparo does the the artwork, and it's. I'll just say this too. Inside, there's some really great artwork here. Um, there's some great caricature looking kind of of uh, characters in this, um, but then you also have your regular comic book kind of jaw lined characters. Um, the movement of the art is is fluid and energetic, but at the same time, there are some um, odd positioning of the uh, the bodies <laughs> that happens here, uh, but they are dynamic, you know, and so while they may not be a- anatomically uh, correct, uh, as far as, you know, just the length of, say, you know, the leg bones and the way that the leg curves sometimes instead of bends, um, it's still, even when it doesn't look right, it looks right in uh, kind of that, you know, it reminds me of uh, Eon Flux, the uh, MTV animated series, where you had these really odd, odd shaped bodies, but they all worked and they were kind of fluid and they moved. And that's what this, this looks like it could move uh, right off the page. I would love to see this artwork animated just to see, you know, how are, how are these bodies moving? Because there is movement on the page, but... Anyway, it's it's a well drawn issue, um, but it's also like I said, it, there's there's some oddness to to it as well. Um, the story opens with three pages of an arguing couple. Uh, there's a they're just kind of that married couple that they live in their their apartment, and she's yelling at him from the kitchen. He's yelling at her from the living room, and he's trying to just watch TV while she's trying to you know get things done, and she's. Um, She's not happy with him. He's not happy with her. He's not happy with anything. And he's trying to watch TV. The he's the late night talk show host. And it's interrupted by a news bulletin. And so anyway, this whole scene just delivers a lot of exposition. A lot of exposition. Um, the talk show, uh, Aquaman is supposed to be a guest on the talk show. But it it's interrupted by... Uh, Mr. Newsy McExposition Man and his buddy, Professor Explaining Scientist Dude. <laughs> and they just explain to you everything that sets up what's going on in this issue. It kind of works. And I know what he was going for with this is that he was hoping that the exposition wouldn't be boring because you've got the uh, the funny interplay between the husband and his wife uh, as the exposition is, is going on. But there is so much text so much text, especially on, on page three. Uh, I had actually considered reading the whole thing, um, but there's just so much to it, and it would get boring after a while, I think. Um, just, they're just explaining, though, that um, for seven days, the sun has not set in Detroit. Uh, the sun has set, rather, but there's been daylight the entire day. That's because there's some sort of uh, satellite that they can't quite figure out where it is but it's it's shining light on the city and so this algae has been growing and the environment has been upset and this algae is everywhere just everywhere and they can't figure out what to do about this and then they go back to the tv show and aquaman is nowhere to be seen he is not going to appear on the show and uh the guy who's watching the show he this is finally he finally something good is going his way because he, he never could stand those goody two-shoe types then they cut to aquaman and he is running f- to go and he he goes to the nearest body of water to swim to detroit and uh 
And then we get my favorite image of the entire magazine. And that is this kind of half page splash that says Steve Skeets, Jim Aparo, Dick Giordano present the creature that devoured Detroit. And it's just the bold letter of the title. But uh, then you have, again, giant Aquaman, giant monster. It's, it's a very swampy looking monster um, looming over Detroit. Both of them are, and he's punching the the creature. And uh, again, that doesn't really happen in the issue, but I'm sure I'm glad we get that, that, uh, you know, two thirds of a page splash that honestly, I would love to do something with that, maybe frame it somehow, but that would mean um, destroying the book. But I, I, that, that is frame worthy to me. I mean, just the, the title with the image uh, is a really, really cool, cool image. But uh, the story itself then, um, you know, we, we're, now we're past all of the, uh, the exposition and Aquaman, he is running into battle, getting ready to do what he's going to do. He's going to th- investigate. He is going to find out what's going on. He is going to help the people of Detroit because that's what he does because he's a superhero. We're also introduced to another superhero named the Crusader. And this is uh, a vigilante who is closing in on a car theft ring. And basically he's Batman in bright orange and he's a rich guy with no powers. Although his secret identity is Don powers. How ironic, you know? Um, And that's where this whole comic, this whole issue uh, seems like there's definitely some sort of uh, satirical stuff going on. And, uh, you know, from the, the opening three pages with the man and his wife to Don Powers being a superhero guy who has no powers. Um, and, but Don Powers is a friend of Aquaman's and he used to be a police scientist and now he's running a really high tech investigation company. And so when Aquaman arrives and starts his investigation, he's looking for his buddy Don. And when he finally finds his buddy Don, um, Don lets it slip just casually as they're talking that he's the one responsible for putting the satellite in the sky that is shining sunlight on Detroit all day long. And Aquaman loses it on him. He goes off on his old buddy with the fury of a thousand um, Facebook political commentators. Uh, And as he flies off the handle, he plans he's just going to just go and destroy that satellite right now and he gets violent with them at first like he, they they go to stop him but he's just gonna go through this door uh he he uses um he's, he's very tricky with them he's like i'm gonna turn this off and i'm gonna go through that door and then no you look like you don't want me to go through that door i knew it so that's actually the door that i am gonna go to and and they try and stop him. He punches them. I mean, he's brutal. I mean, this is a guy who's one of the strongest men, uh, you know, to walk the face of the earth. And he's punching uh, regular humans in the face because they put their hands on his arms to, to stop him from going through a door to hit the self-destruct button that he knows is behind that door to destroy this satellite. And they knock him on the top of the head and they then drop him off on a park bench because Don, I mean, he doesn't want hurt his friend uh he's he's just gonna have him you know drop him off at the park bench this really surprised me actually um where the reaction it was just kind of that the way he just snaps and just goes crazy and he's not gonna go you know get the rest of the jla to take down the satellite i can't remember where they are at this point in time if they're on the moon or if they're in the mountain or if they're in the the satellite i'm i'm not as 
well versed in in that era of uh, DC lore, but. He just plans to go through the door that they don't want him to go through, and he's just going to self-destruct that satellite right then, right there. No plan. I mean, the whole thing's just a little bit silly. I mean, he's assuming a lot. Of course, he turns out that he's right. The self-destruct button is behind that door. But the crazy quick anger seemed a little out of place for me. Um, You know, I expect my heroes, my superheroes, to be a little less crazy angry and be a little more, you know, righteous angry. Um but of course, this is after I, I do know this much. This is after um, Black Manta has killed Aquaman's son. And so maybe maybe this is just, you know, the the angry era of Aquaman. I, I don't know. But anyway, um, there's this level of crazy in the plot here as well. I mean, this satellite idea, this is a stupid kind of idea. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, especially when we get into some of the motivation, but the way they present it right now, then it, it doesn't make sense maybe in a real world kind of situation, but in a superhero satire actually it does kind of make sense when you start thinking of it that way, where um, not only are they you know doing this crazy thing that's hurting the environment, but they are taking away the time when most crimes happen. And so because they've taken away the night, crime rates are down. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel as it still feels crazy like that. They're putting that much money into into the, that solution. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, I mean, other there, there's lots of factors. You don't want your city to be daylight the entire time. We have these internal clocks where we need dark and we need to be able to fall asleep. Um, and I know, you know, there are people who live in areas where it is day you know, almost the whole day and it's night, almost the whole night or it's night, almost the whole 24 hours. It's day, almost 24 hours, depending on the the time of the year that you have. But, um, it, it messes with people's internal clocks when that happens. And so this is not just an environmental problem. This is a, uh, a people problem as well. Um, anyway, we're all, we're about to find out the real motivation though. The real motivation has to do with crime, but you almost get the impression, or I almost get the impression anyway, that the crime rates going down is an incidental and a coincidental, um, thing that happens, not the actual solution that they were actually seeking out. You see, <laughs> we're about to move from, uh, zany craziness but understandable zany craziness. And we're about to move into clown shoes. Um, This is where it just gets weird. Weirder. You see Don powers. He knows the gig is up and he's a good guy. You know, he's not doing this out of selfish ambition. He's doing this out of selfless ambition. You see, he's the crusader, as I said before, and he's going blind And he's hoping that he can crack this big case he's been working on for a very long time, but he wants to crack this last case of this car theft ring, and he wants to do it before he goes blind, and now he has an even shorter time period. He just needs two more days. He's hoping that um, now that Aquaman has been taken out of the building, that he will now go to the Justice League, and they will start looking for the satellite, and they will eventually take it offline and get rid of it. But not right now. 
not right now. And that'll give him time to have light during the night so that he can see and finish this car theft investigation. So I guess, again, I mean, if you're looking at this from a satire point of view, this is a great satire on on Batman and on, you know, vigilante justice and the whole idea of I'm just going to do this thing. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the law says, doesn't matter what the law does. Um, I'm going to do this crazy thing and the consequences don't care. I'm just going to take care of crime. Uh, and so the ideas that are happening here, they feel like they'd be very much at home and say the tick or something like that. Um, in mainstream Aquaman, actual, you know, continuity, it feels a little odd. It feels a little, like I said, clown shoes, but the guy, <laughs> the way he gets around is by jumping across buildings, uh, from building to building in Detroit. And, um, this, this thing is only going to take him a couple days. He's got to get to work now and he's going to finish that criminal investigation. We cut away from him jumping from building to building to Aquaman waking up and he wakes up. He, he fights an algae creature and um, saves a girl from this creature that's going to kind of envelop her, suck her into the, the algae and into the water and and he gets her out and then he sounds the alarm for everyone to get out of there, get out of the city pack up your stuff, get out now because we've got a giant uh, blob, basically. I mean, it's kind of the blob idea just kind of coming in. It has some sort of sentience. It has autonomy of movement, and it is not going to be good if you get caught in the algae because it's alive. And it's not just alive in the sense that a plant is alive. It's alive in the sense that it can do things that algae is not supposed to be able to do. And unfortunately, his telepathy does not work on plants. And so that's that's a problem also. And so, you know, it's it's a hopeless situation. So he wants to go take out the satellite quickly. And so Crusader is um, kind of counting on Aquaman, you know, doing things a little more sanely. Uh, but Aquaman is just like, no, I'm going to take care of this. And now I'm going to go back. Um, but he sees a crowd gathering nearby, and so he's, he's not sure what's going on, doesn't know if he should take the time to check it out, but he goes ahead and does it. And um, there's the Crusader, dead, on the ground. <laughs> he's he's just dead. Um, turns out, off, off page, he tripped over some wires that were right there in plain sight, but no one knew that the guy was losing his sight. <laughs> and so that's, that's a problem. <laughs> and... And because he was losing his sight, well, <laughs> he trips over some wires as he's jumping over buildings. And uh, it's confusing to Aquaman. And I, it always bugs me a little bit in stories when things like this happen where the main characters are never going to know what really happened. And, uh, and it bugs me, not because it's bad storytelling, it, it bugs me because I find myself identifying with the main character and I'm like, I want this character to know the stuff that I know. Um, so Aquaman, he is confused. Like what is his friend doing and why did he you know, create the satellite? And we know Aquaman never will know. Um, <laughs> part of the reason he'll never know is because this is the last issue. He's getting canceled. Um, and we'll talk more about that later on. But but before he gets canceled, he just runs into that building. He fights through the people 
and goes in through the door, closes the door, presses the self-destruct button on the satellite, and it blows up the end. That's that's it. <laughs> it's just done. Um, so there's this whole environmental thing going on here. And again, there, there's there's a couple different satire-ish kind of things happening here. A satire on superheroes, a satire on... Um, you know, just people and the way that they deal with the environment, a satire on people and the way that they deal with the world around them. Um, you have this company that knows they're doing something that affects the environment in a horrible, awful, no good, very bad way. But they don't care because they have their reasons. And then there's some of the man on the street type of people. Um, you have there's there's a woman who is just talking about, I wish this was happening to Cleveland instead of here. And you have the arguing couple where the husband is just sitting in his chair complaining about everything but doesn't do anything about it. Um, its story has all the elements needed for satire. I think, unfortunately, because of the way it ends, uh, it just doesn't land well. Uh, and, and then there's also the, the whole Aquaman acting so angry. Um, anyway, this was the last issue of the series. And so Aquaman reappeared in Adventure Comics in 19, I think, 74, if I remember when I, I looked it up. I don't know this off the top of my head. I looked it up recently. I'm trying to remember it off the, the bottom of my head. I don't know. Um, and there was supposed to be follow-up. There was supposed to be another issue where um, Aquaman, in going and fighting against the algae, was going to lose his powers. Now, I, I say that. I, I saw that on one blog with no source, so I, I just don't know what the the, the follow-up would have been. But instead, so far as I can tell, Aquaman went on to have other adventures in other magazines, but this story wasn't picked up and finished the way Skeets planned it to be finished. And so, as it is, the story just ends really abruptly. And because of that abrupt ending, um, there's just this, to me, this feeling of uh, un, un, it's unsatisfying. And all the loose ends are, are there. You know, there's the algae and then there's the whole uh, Don Powers thing. And uh, none of them get get tied up. And, you know, the, the ending honestly reminds me a little bit, uh, more than a little bit, of uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second Planet of the Apes uh, from the original uh, Quintology, from the original Planet of the Apes five movies. Uh, the second one ends where it's just, a guy hits a button and boom. And, and then the narrator says, and now the story is done. And, and I'm saying it that way. Cause I don't want to give away too much, but uh, I mean, this is a very old movie. So, you know, you need to see these movies and the twist endings and the twists and, you know, all those things are really, really neat. But for here, he just blows up that satellite. And then, you know, we would find out what happens with the algae in the next issue. We don't get that. However, Steve Skeets did write a sequel. And here's where things continue to get weird. The sequel was at Marvel. And so Steve Skeets is working at Marvel and he ends up working on their Submariner title. This is issue number 72 that we're looking at. And the writer is Steve Skeets, the penciler is Dan Adkins, the uh, inker is Vince Coletta, and letterer is Artie Simic. And cover date, September 1974. On sale date is June 18, 1974. Cover price, we've gone up 10 cents in three years. It's 25 cents. And uh, so 
Skeet's run on Submariner wasn't very long. He was picking up after Steve Gerber ran for a handful of issues. Side note, Steve Gerber in 1973-74 wrote a handful of Submariner issues. Um, I have to find those. I don't know if they're collected somewhere or what, but I did not know this. I, I I just didn't know. And I really, really, really want to see what did he write? What did he write for Submariner during that time? So anyway, uh, Marv Wolfman took over for a couple issues, I think two, two issues after uh, Steve Gerber. And then Steve Skeets took over the title for 18 pages. Um, he got one issue and then submariner was canceled now aquaman was canceled but then the character moved over to um adventure comics and then they picked up the numbering with number 57 uh, a few years later um submariner uh after this was uh after the was canceled he moved over to uh, i think it was super villain team up which actually is a really kind of fun run where dr doom and submariner and and other villains are, are teaming up together to do their evil nefarious deeds um, it's, I, I liked it a lot. I used to have the essential collection and I believe I sold it on eBay, um, during one of those many times where I'm like, if I sell some things on eBay, um, it would help us pay some bills. And so that was one that got sacrificed to the bill gods. Uh, anyway, uh, the Savage Submariner issue number 72, um, was his opportunity to follow up on that Aquaman number 56 story what is interesting to me is that um he chose to follow up on the story not by picking up on any of the loose ends from the previous story like the algae monster that just never got taken care of instead we have in this issue this marvel comic issue we have aquaman's hand hit the self-destruct button and the satellite blows up and the way they actually describe it is um they, they're talking about the satellite. And then meanwhile, back on Earth, you see someone saying or thinking, this is the control panel. Now, where's, ah, here's the button I was looking for. And the hand touches the destruct button. And it says destruct right over this big red button. And, and this is where um, you get the Doofenshmirtz thing here, where he puts a self-destruct switch on every one of his in inventions. Um, why would you do that? You know, I, I just don't see NASA is going to put a self-destruct button on all of our satellites that are up there. Um, then on the next page, it says who that man is and why he wished to destroy the satellite. That need not concern us. And uh, later on, he he also references uh, in the in the narration something about um, this mysterious person from Detroit who did this thing. Why did he do it? Doesn't matter kind of thing. So that's the follow-up. We we have Aquaman's hand, and it's, it's it's meant to be his hand. It's colored kind of bluish, um, but it's meant to be his hand. And it actually, um, the panel, it's from a different angle as if it was uh, two different cameras that were taking a picture of the hand. But it's the same panel, basically, as what you see in um, Aquaman number 56 and the explosion then is the last panel of Aquaman number 56 in that panel of the explosion above the earth. They also um, do that in issue 72 of the Savage Submariner. It is clearly and obviously this is picking up on that story. 
it it's just weird why he chose to do it that way. So the satellite blows up and it coincidentally happens to be where a spacefaring jellyfish kind of blob alien being has taken up residence in its flight across the cosmos. And so then two years later, it has formed itself into a physical body, a, a body that is slimy, a body that is, you know, reminiscent of a swamp thing that's reminiscent of a creature from the black lagoon. Um, it is the guy who on the cover is reaching out for Submariner who is holding the back of his head. He has just obviously been in a fight with some dock workers um, and he, he's holding the back of his head and, and the the creature is saying, this is it, Namor, your final defeat beneath the talons of the slime thing. And Submariner is saying, I must rise to face my monstrous foe or two worlds are doomed the surface world and Atlantis and Submariner. I, I also have to add is wearing the correct costume. He's wearing his black outfit with the little webbed wing things under his arms and actual pants and a little bit of a shirt thing going on or a vest. Um, this is Submariner wearing his, I don't know what, what this outfit is called, but it's the right one. <laughs> so anyway, this creature it, by the way, the cover of both of these, what happens on the cover doesn't really happen in the issue. Um, the creature never announces himself as the slime thing within the issue. And he doesn't have talons. He just has regular hands. They're, they're swamp monster or, or slime monster hands, but they're, they're not talons. Um, but anyway, uh, this two years later, he's rising to the surface. He's this slime creature. So I, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around like what what is this story trying to say and i think i'm putting too much thought into it maybe but maybe not i mean the, the both of these stories are trying to say something you know about america about life in the modern day of the 70s uh and so aquaman though in blowing up the satellite with his righteous fury because you know while his anger rises and it's quick it's fast i mean he he is quick to anger um but it's justifiable has justifiable reasoning behind it but he in doing that has hurt an innocent space floating blob monster and this monster if you're looking at the cover you're expecting it to be evil it's not it's just living life just going through life it's just an animal it's just a, a jellyfish kind of creature that has some sentience to it but um it, it just it, and so to me then i'm looking at this and thinking okay so are we saying something about how you know our anger can catch people in the crossfire that don't you know, shouldn't have gotten ca caught in the crossfire. I'm just trying to figure out what's being said here because before this scene, we also have Submariner pontificating about how humans are just polluting literally everything. They're polluting the water, they're polluting the air, they're polluting everything. And then his DC counterpart, Aquaman, destroys an unnatural structure in space, something that we put up there, something that we put up there and it became a habitat, an unnatural habitat to a space animal which, you know, that happens here on Earth as well. We have, you know, buildings that, that bats have, you know, 
started living in barns and and uh, it's become a part of their habitat, but it's an unnatural part of their habitat. And that's basically what happened here is you know, there's a bunch of bats in a barn and Aquaman blew up the barn. And so what happens to the bats then, you know, it's kind of this double whammy. And so you have this space jellyfish blob in the, the satellite and he blows up the satellite. And so now he has um, destroyed it and dislodged the creature and caused that creature to take an unnatural detour. And it's already unnatural life now because it was living in that satellite and was curious about that satellite. And now he's blown off course from his natural space dwelling and he lands in the the ocean and he spends two years in the ocean um looking around seeing fish and seeing that they have physical bodies and, and spends two years in the ocean wanting a physical body and creating then a physical body and so um you have submariner he's complaining about how humans have upset the balance of nature in the water and in the air and on land and now they've done it in space too he doesn't know that they did it in space but they did it in space too and they're not just causing trouble for the fish and for the animals and for the the birds but now it's causing trouble for space animals too and i i feel like am i reading too much into this i might be reading too much into this but then again i don't think i'm reading too much into this i think that we are supposed to be thinking about this kind of stuff and uh and so I'm intrigued by it and I find it really interesting. But then I find myself like, am I, again, am I thinking too much about this? Uh, uh, and the other thing is, I'll, I'll be honest, when I first heard about this crossover and saw these covers, um, I thought that Skeets was just going to have Submariner in his issue go to Detroit and just fight the algae monster and clean up the situation there. And instead we get this kind of a uh, cool, weird connection the way he connects these stories together and and i just wonder you know on one hand i wonder why did he choose to connect them at all um and unless you know is this kind of a reworking of the original follow-up script um and because a submariner who's not in detroit he decided to you know let's throw this alien up on the the satellite and allow the alien to, to be the monster, but we're still going to let the inciting incident be Aquaman. Um, like, did he in, intend for all this to have happened or, or a lot of this to have happened to Aquaman? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm very curious, you know, just what was the creative process that went into doing this? So anyway, uh, what happens here? Well, what happens is a slime monster, like I said, emerges from the depths in time to see Submariner get attacked by a really angry, borderline racist, possible homosexual. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this either. Um, the the language that's used by this guy, the guy's name is Bruce. It's comic book racist language. And and, and by that, I mean, it's, it's pulled back. Um, it's made up, you know, as far as, you know, talking about um, Submariner and, and being racist against Submariner. Um, and this guy is just super irrational angry. And Submariner is already really angry. And it pushes Submariner far enough to get Submariner to attack Bruce. He's blind with anger. And, you know, keep that in mind. We've had uh, Aquaman dealing with uh, the Crusader who was going blind. And, uh, you know, they say justice is blind. Um, and, and that guy, I mean, maybe he was, maybe that's the, the intention there, but, um, Submariner is blind with anger. He's just not thinking straight. He's not doing things the way 
He should. I mean, he's a villain. And, you know, he, he goes to supervillain team up after this. Uh, he's he's angry, but uh, he's he's also attacking someone that is supposedly not a match for him. But he totally is like this guy, Bruce. He totally holds his own in the fight against Submariner. He kicks Submariner in the head, this giant roundhouse kick. And uh, it's it's just I'm not sure what the intention is here as well. Um, uh, Bruce's partner, um, I, I did see somewhere that, and I didn't see Steve Skeets actually say this, but I did see somewhere that someone said, Steve Skeets said this, that he did intend the uh, the couple here to be a, a gay couple. Um, and, you know, the, the name Bruce is a name that I, from what I can tell was used for stereotypical gay men in seventies pop culture and maybe even before that as well. But anyway, um, Bruce's partner, he tries to stop it and he's like, man, stop your hateful anger, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, then Subby knocks Bruce into the water and then the partner attacks him and then everyone's in the water. And then, yeah. So throughout this whole fight scene, there's some really interesting scripting choices happening here where it's basically in some ways, the narrator is almost mocking uh, Submariner for the way he's he's acting and, and what he's doing. And uh, and then there's this splash page and the splash page. Uh, OK, it gets weird. It gets weird on the splash page here. The. This is the this is the page where Bruce gives um, a roundhouse kick with his heel right to Submariner's head. Uh, the other guy's yelling, no, Bruce, don't you hate crazed fool. And then there's a caption that quotes Adolf Hitler from Mein Kampf. Like it's <laughs> so it's attached to the splash page about violence. Uh, not a splash page about violence, a splash page depicting violence as Bruce is kicking Submariner in the head. Uh, and then the quote from Adolf Hitler says, many will be far more ready to take in a pictorial presentation than to read a lengthy piece of writing. The picture in a shorter time, I would almost say at one blow furnishes man with an enlightenment, which he receives from literature only after tedious reading. I don't know what he's doing with this. Like what, what's the juxtaposition supposed to be? And I mean, basically Hitler would agree with the effectiveness of the shorthand of this splash page, as opposed to a lengthy description from, you know, a, a text book. Uh, <laughs> so we had this weird just juxtaposition. Like, is this, are we making a point about the, the racism here? I mean, the, the character who's kicking some Mariner in the head is, is the racist guy. So quoting Hitler seems on point. If it was some sort of st st satirical commentary on, on the racism here, making a point on that. Um, but instead it's Adolf Hitler saying, um, a picture is worth a thousand words. And, <laughs> And here's the picture. And I've actually seen that happen in, a, in you know, old Marvel comics, especially where, you know, Stan Lee's narration will say a uh, picture was worth a thousand words. And we're going to let this picture speak for itself, even though just by commenting on it like that, you're you're not letting it speak for itself. But I just don't I don't get it. It's it's uh, it's odd. It's it's weird. And so it fits in the uh, the week of weird. 
I just I, I find it weird to have you know to to use any kind of quote from Adolf Hitler that supports what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and and I I don't know I don't I don't know. His book's all over the place. Anyway, underwater, Bruce gets saved by his friend while Submariner gets in a battle with the monster. And his rage just grows and grows. And after he gets in some really good blows, the monster makes him literally blind. Uh, and, and so this is where I wonder, you know, I don't know about the, uh, you know, Bruce and, and the couple there, but um, was this the intention for the Aquaman follow up? Would Aquaman's fight with the algae have gone a lot like this, where he is getting more and more angry and losing his telepathy and his powers, but keeps fighting because he's angry and he shouldn't be fighting the creature the way he's fighting it. Because that's, that's the whole point here is that Submariner fights this creature. He should not be fighting this creature. The narrator is saying he should not be fighting this creature. And uh, so I, I wonder, you know, is this what Skeets was trying to do with Aquaman or it was making this connection between the two books, just a fun thing to do because Skeets was getting his chance, you know, to now write Submariner after he wrote Aquaman for DC. Uh, anyway, the elements are here for satire and, and it works much better in here. I think than in Aquaman, uh, it feels like it's targeting superhero comics and, and maybe, you know, using the Adolf Hitler line. Uh, but it's also, you know, like I said, kind of almost mocking Submariner as it's saying, you know, why are you fighting? You know, that kind of thing. Um, why do you continue to punch this monster that did nothing? Um, and then as he goes into this mad rage, uh, you know, he's beating up these people who don't deserve the beating they received. And, and that's, um, you know, and Bruce throws the first blow, I guess, when it comes to the fight. So Mariner is not the first person to attack and get physical with the violence. Um, Bruce calls him fish face. Bruce calls him half breed. And um, and and then Submariner loses it on him much the same way Aquaman loses it on the, uh, you know, Don Powers and his friends there. But he goes into this rage and he you know, he hurts Bruce. I mean, he, he could, he could have killed Bruce, honestly. In fact, there's a panel where I thought Bruce was dead and it's again, kind of satirical. Um, Bruce is sinking into the water and um, on the way down, it says death be not loud. And I, I love that little element there. Um, and the creature is just watching this all, taking this all in. And then, and then as they, Come in contact. Submariner's like, oh, there's a monster. Okay, I'm going to fight it. <laughs> and so he does. Um, but now the monster then does, you know, kind of magically with whatever powers the, the creature has um, makes Submariner literally blind. But the fight does not stop. And so then we get one of the most absurd moments in mainstream comics this happens this is in marvel 616 continuity and i love it <laughs> i love it submariner grapples with the slime thing and then his head is down the slime thing is standing kind of in front of him and taller than him and submariner just throws his head back and gives him kind of the headbutt to end all headbutts, although it's not really a headbutt because it's not the forehead. So I'm not sure what you call a headbutt when you use the back of your head, but he brings his head up into the creature's chin and just 
literally pops the alien head right off the slime body and just sends that alien head back up into space where it came from. And then the creature flies away through space and leaves behind the blind submariner. And then we get page 30. We get submariner and he's down on his knees. Almost a whole page, whole splash. Um, it's it's two thirds, maybe three quarters, um, but it's vertical. So the other panel on this page is also vertical. It's the whole height of the page, but it's just one quarter of the page. And then the narrator says, remorse. Look, readers, look upon a princely figure and feel pity for him. Another casualty in a world gone mad, a victim of his own desire to live proud as he gestured as obscenely in the face of a universe filled with cruelty and devoid of mercy. And on his knee, he says, if only I tried to understand the creature, maybe then I'd still be able to see. Back to the narrator. And does he notice the irony in these, his thoughts, hindsight? It is the only kind of sight he now possesses. Yet wait, for now there comes one final act from that which now speeds away from our soiled orb. With but a thought, the alien returns sight to the grieving prince. I can see again. Thank Neptune. No, thank the creature. This was its doing. I know it was. I felt the same flash of sensation that hit me when it took my sight. The gesture complete. The creature quickly passes Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, and is gone. Think about this, Submariner, but don't bother to think too hard. This, after all, was just another adventure. No more important than any other. It is behind you now, and you have work to do. The fate of Atlantis, that is what I must concentrate upon. I must go home again. And then the last page, it's just that abrupt ending again. And it just shows this panel of a bunch of people lying dead on the ground in Atlantis. Maybe maybe they're not dead. And then Submariner is, is swimming away and he says, uh, the narrator says, yet there is none so blind as they that won't see. And perhaps through the battle past, this homeward bound Atlantean has gained in vision. And then Submariner ends the book by saying, I have learned a lesson this day, a lesson that will live with me forever. And so that's the end. And I just, again, I can't help but feeling that this is maybe a, a satire of uh, comics and, and, and TV. You know, you have that, that caption where it's like, yeah, it's just another adventure, you know, no more important than any other, you know, don't think too hard about it. Um, so, yeah, overall, with all the absurdity that's involved in these two issues, and maybe because of the absurdity, I love having these two comics in my collection. And I, I really enjoy both these. And there's clearly a very skillful pen going into both of these Um there's just this kind of oddness to me where like, what, what is trying to be said here? Like, I can't tell if this is making fun of uh, Bruce and his partner, or if this is, um, I mean, the final thing with them is just <laughs> that they're going to walk off together and, um, phew, man, I don't believe this night. I don't want to believe it. I just want to get out of here. Let's go back to my pad and have a few drinks. I just bought a new professional wrestling magazine and 
I, I, I can't tell if they're meant to be a satire going on about them as well, or if it is meant to say, Hey, these guys, um, have a relationship. These guys care about each other. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. <laughs> but, um, but that aside, the whole, you know, the monster itself and, and, then uh, um, the, the way he dispatches the monster and just pops his head off with his own head and just knocks it up high enough that the, the thing can go back into space. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, I like it a lot. I just wish the connective tissue between the two of them was just a little bit stronger. And that, that, that monster creature, instead of being, um, you know, just this random creature could actually be, you know, the algae from the, from the, the Aquaman thing. And, and if I were to do it different, you know, if I were to do it, I, I probably wouldn't think to do that. But with hindsight, which is really the only vision I have right now, um, I, I would try and figure out a way. I just think it'd be cool. And don't get me wrong. I do think it is cool. I, I love this, you know. Um, I love the crossover. I love the absurdity of some of the moments of both of these comics. Um, I mean, there's the absurdity of, of the Crusader just yeah, off panel. He just trips over some wires and he's dead. You know, I mean, the, it, this hits a lot of marks for me that just make it something that I enjoy. So anyway, that is day one of uh, the weird uh, the week of weird. Um, so tomorrow, um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be covering. I have, uh, six or seven more ideas. Um, but it'll be something weird. Um, actually, no, I'm going to decide right now. Tomorrow, it's going to be two weird collections. And, uh, they're weird because of who the spotlight is on both of these collections, the timing of both of these collections. And, um, I, I enjoyed both of these collections and, and that's why I've decided I'm going to talk about those two collections tomorrow. So that is tomorrow. You have that to look forward to hopefully a little bit shorter, but I just, I wanted to do an episode about these two comics for so long, this Aquaman and sub and Submariner. And, uh, so finally I get to do it. And so I, I, I may have gone on a little bit longer than I, I planned to for other, other, uh, installments of the week of weird. At least I hope so. Cause seven hours of podcasting in seven days. Yeah. That's a little extreme. So we'll see. We'll see. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more at comicbooktimemachine.com. You can go to facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. And you can email us at feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com. And if you have any insight on anything that we're talking about for this week of weird uh, on the final episode, which I do know what the final one is going to be for sure. Um, and I'll also include some, some listener feedback. Uh, after the music... Stay tuned for a podcast promo from a podcast that I recommend. This time I recommend it because it's one of the first comic book podcasts that I ever listened to. And I've really enjoyed listening to those guys over the years. And it has to do with Aquaman. Thanks so much for listening. And wherever your journeys take you, and if your journeys take you you know past the moon past mars or if they take you to a satellite a man-made satellite orbiting around a little blue and green globe wherever you're going godspeed
twist their hair. They stand for truth and justice. And see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough I have to put up with your shenanigans every... <laughs>